Welcome to an Impact Ministries production, brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self-development program that changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hey, I'm Jim Richards. I want to welcome you to this third message in Cyber Church called Legalism or Inheritance. We are talking about uh, in this new series, the spirit of adoption who has one primarily primary goal in our life, and that is to bring us into the place where we have developed the kind of heart that can take, that can take hold of the inheritance that we have through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to be sure and say this. I've already said this several times. I want to be sure and say it again. Adoption is not when we get born into the family of God. We are born into that. This is a supernatural birth by the Holy Spirit. The Bible calls it the new birth. And so the adoption and the new birth are not the same thing. Now, let me say this. I love the concept of adoption. I have adopted children. I understand what that means to adopt children and to love them with your heart, just like you love your own biological kids and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, that concept means a lot to me, but uh, technically they are not one the same thing. Adoption based on the ancient Hebrew world was what would happen when the son, the oldest son, who was an heir. Now, keep in mind, when we come into Jesus, when we are born into the kingdom of God, we become heirs. We don't grow into being heirs. We don't get somebody to lay hands on us and make us heirs. And that's something that the Gnostics used to teach, is that you only became an heir after you went through certain steps and all this kind of thing. No, we come into the new birth as uh, children, as heirs, as joint heirs, and we have an inheritance. Now, but what the tutor did for the, for the Hebrew family, even though the son was an heir, he was no different from a child until that tutor had developed him and taught him the family business. I mean, this guy uh, is going to take over the family business, which is going to affect the well-being of every person in the family and every person that works for the family. So it was an incredible responsibility. Well, the Holy Spirit actually wants to work in us to make us disciples of the Lord Jesus. The Holy Spirit always trying to take us down the process of becoming disciples of the Lord Jesus. Now, even though our inheritance is here, we are already sons, we have legal rights to our inheritance, we still need to understand the godly principles for managing our life, managing our inheritance, and actually how to take hold of, how to receive that inheritance. It's given, but that doesn't mean we've taken hold of it. It doesn't mean we understand that it's ours. And so the goal here is not to earn the inheritance. The goal here is not to become qualified for the inheritance. The goal is to take hold of the inheritance and know how to manage this inheritance. Now, one of the things that we're talking about today is we're talking about, uh, or, we're, or we're answering the question, uh, legalism, or inheritance. You know, I started just to call, I started to simplify this and just call this is this legalism. Now we live in a world today that is so far removed. The Christian world today is so 
far removed from understanding much of the Bible uh, beyond some of the most uh, basic, simple principles that uh, there, there are so, there's a wealth of resources that are available to us. I'm not talking about just informational resources. I'm talking about resources within the kingdom of God that make our life better, like our inheritance. And because we don't understand how to make this journey, we don't recognize some, some of these subtleties, then we really, really get confused. You know, in general, the, the many people who have come alive to the concept of grace versus works uh, have come to a, a misunderstanding about what legalism is and a misunderstanding about works. You know, the truth is the Bible does not present any kind of issue with works. It presents an issue with whether or not they are good works or whether or not they are dead works. And those are the two kinds of works that exist uh, in, in the kingdom. And so dead works are those works that you do to, uh, to try to move God uh, and, and really dead works relate more to righteousness than they do to individual aspects of our rewards or of our inheritance. And so many people have gone so far overboard on the fear of dead works that the, that the real truth is uh, they get paralyzed, afraid to even do anything. They're afraid they will be in dead works and, and that it will, will be a destructive thing to their heart. But, uh, you know, dead works and good works are the same works. The real question is why you do them, if you want to know the truth. Just like so many things in the Bible, it's not what you do sometimes, it's why you do it, because that's where your heart gets involved. That's where your beliefs come involved. So, uh, so I want you to understand, dead works are where we are trying to earn righteousness through our performance. And so we have an inheritance and we actually even have rewards that the Bible talks about uh, that has nothing to do with trying to earn righteousness. And I'm telling you what, it is important for you to understand where your inheritance and where your rewards play into this. If you want to stay highly motivated and highly energized uh, and, and really keep a sense of of constant expectation, positive expectation with God, it's really important that you understand this. Now, one of the problems that we have, and I tell you, I, I recognize, recognize this very early on as a believer, where I would go to church week after week, and the pastor, I had a great pastor, I loved him, he was a great man of God, he really was, but every week, my pastor would preach usually from some of the parables of Jesus. And when those parables would, uh, you know, talk about certain behavior and some of it would lead to destruction and then some of it would lead to life, the problem was that uh, the assumption was made that it was talking about being saved, going to heaven or going to hell, not, not being saved. Well, Jesus made it clear that these were parables of the kingdom. Now, if there are parables of the kingdom, and again, there is that concept uh, where we get the idea, okay, then, then entering into the kingdom is what happens when we get saved. But see, John 3.3 3 tells us 
that when we are born again, we become capable of seeing or perceiving the kingdom. They are not one in the same thing. And so one of the problems is many times when Jesus was talking about rewards or inheritance uh, in our minds, we were, we were actually changing that to, to go into heaven. And so, so we have to realize that, the, you know, there are uh, eternal rewards and there are rewards that have something to do with going to heaven. But man, I'm telling you what, there's a lot of rewards and there's a lot of inheritance that we are supposed to be participating in here in this life. Now, let me just say this, and, and I, I know this is kind of going to be some boring information for many of you, but in the Bible, there are about 50 different categories of speech at, that that are used to convey information in different ways. I'm, I'm just going to kind of give you an example of this. For example, there are metaphors, and the Bible uses a lot of metaphors. Now, a metaphor is a figure of speech in which a word or a phrase is applied to an object or an action to which it is not literally applicable. So you're using a word or a phrase, it's a metaphor, and a metaphor is when I'm telling you a story about this, but it really means something, something else. In other words, it's a word or a phrase as applied to something, to an object or an action, which really is not literally applicable. And so uh, I hope you get that. You can look it up online. You can get more information about it. And then, of course, there are allegories. Now, an allegory is a story or a poem or a picture that can be interpreted to reveal hidden meanings, typically of a moral or a political uh, essence. So, you know, Jesus used a lot of allegories where he told a story or painted a picture that, uh, that if you caught the true meaning of it, you would understand something uh, of a, that was of a spiritual or a moral nature. Now, allegories are incredibly uh, powerful for influencing the heart. You know, Jesus would use allegories. He would talk about raising sheep. He would talk about planting gardens. He would talk about planting vineyards. So he took subjects that people understand, and he created allegories uh, where he was actually talking to them about some spiritual reality, some deeper aspect. But because they understood the subject matter they was using, they were able to, if you will, transfer that understanding over to another category. Then, of course, now I know this is boring for you, but 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 you gotta let me say this. Then, of course, there are similes. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go through that. Uh, there are illusions. Illusions are, are an expression designed to call something to mind without actually mentioning it. So, alluding to something um, is is where you don't actually mention what you're trying to convey, but you but you are actually going to make a point. And so. Actually, there's about 50 different parts of speech or phrases that the Bible uses to make points without literally saying what it's trying to say. And then, of course, there is just the literal statement of something. Now, I am convinced that the majority of Christians think that God is illiterate, that he doesn't know the parts of speech, that he doesn't. Uh, know the difference between something that's literal and something uh, that's a metaphor and, and all this kind of stuff. And, and, I, and the reason I assume that that's 
the position that most believers take is because most believers do not do word studies. They don't, they don't learn to, to look up individual words in the language that, that God chose to use, and they don't come to understand the way people communicate it in the times of Jesus or in the times of the, you know, the apostles. And I was so fortunate that I'm telling you, I had only been in church one week. Now I'd been saved longer and I'd been reading the Bible because the day I got saved, you know, I was in my car by myself. I went straight home, began reading the Bible. I got a Bible and I started going through it. But the very first pastor I had showed me how to use Greek and Hebrew study tools. And he just told me, he said, don't, don't ever look up a word from the Bible in the Webster's Dictionary because this Bible wasn't written in English. It was written in Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic. And so he showed me how to use these study tools. And so right off the bat, I started studying these languages. Well, as time went by, I started looking more at trying to understand these different types of expression, these different parts of speech. And, and so, uh, but it, again, it amazes me that we've got the most important book that we will ever read. We have a message delivered straight to us from God Almighty, the creator of the universe, and that we study more about the demonic Nephilim uh, uh, you know, in, in Greek literature than we do about, about God and who God is and what God says about him. And we, we know more about everything that is anti-Christ. We know more about everything that is anti-God. We know more about fake science. We know more about fake everything than we do about the truth and about reality, which I, I don't, I'm not sure how that happens, but it just, it convinces me that people do not believe that God understands parts of speech, that he does not, that, that he is actually not literate. So it's important that you know this, because as we, as we kind of go through this thing about our inheritance and our rewards, we're going to be looking at some metaphors. We're going to be looking at parables, very obviously. We're going to be we're going to be looking at illusions. We're going to be looking at different things, uh, seeking to understand exactly what Jesus meant or what the apostles meant uh, when they were talking to us about inheritance and rewards and those kinds of things. Now, let me just mention this before I go any farther, before I jump into the next point. Every time I do one of these videos, I do a, uh, an audio uh, uh, version it's not the same information as a lot of the same information, but has a lot more information, a lot more details. And it's about 60 hours of audio for those of you who want to take the deep dive, who are committed to being disciples, who are committed to, to really transforming your beliefs. So if you, if you want to take a deep dive on this spirit of adoption, a study of inheritance and reward. Man, download it tonight and start listening to it along with what you're getting in these, in these videos. I'm telling you, it, it will be life-changing for you. Now, let me just mention this about, about inheritance and rewards. Now, remember, a lot of this is foundational. Inheritance and rewards, number one, we can't put these in any single time category as far as when and how we will experience them. Because there are inheritances and rewards that actually are designed to be experienced here, uh, here and now, absolutely right now. And then there are uh, inheritances and rewards that are designed to be experienced on planet Earth, here on planet Earth, but not right now. 
And then, of course, there are inheritances and rewards that we will experience in the eternal heaven. And so it's very important that you make that distinction. Otherwise, God will be talking to you about some benefit that is yours now. You'll think it's talking about some eternal benefit, and you won't even participate. It's like having money in the bank that you don't realize you can make a withdrawal and you can, you can begin to, to, to live on it. So, so we know then that there is a difference, that, that the fact that we can receive rewards, uh, uh, rewards is not legalism, because legalism is based on uh, earning righteousness by your performance. That is not what we're talking about. Hebrews 11.5 tells us something that I think is so incredibly interesting, and I, you know, I don't understand why many people today in what I call the fake grace movement, I do not understand why they just take these scriptures out of the Bible. They do not pay any attention to them. But Hebrews chapter 11, by the way, the entire book of Hebrews is actually uh, showing us about types. Now, types are something else that God uses to convey certain, certain truth. And the nation of Israel coming out of Egypt, wandering through the wilderness, going into the promised land, and how they manage themselves in the promised land is actually a type of uh, and a shadow of what we can look at to understand how the church is supposed to function and how the church is supposed to not function uh, if we want to live the very best life that God has to offer. But the book of Hebrews, man, the book of Hebrews is full of types, shadows, illusions, metaphors. I am telling you, the book of Hebrews is one of those books that if you try to, first of all, if you don't understand the Old Testament types and models that is used, and then, then you're lost. Anyhow, you're not going to get much out of it. It's going to be over your head. But when you understand the sacrifices that, that the children of Israel made, and you see how the, every one of those were a type of what Jesus would do for us through his death, burial, and resurrection, and his first and second coming, then you, then you start understanding the benefits, the inheritances, the reward that you have here in this life. I mean, and you can't get this stuff if you don't read uh, the Old Testament and start to, to learn what we call the Old Testament. But listen to this in Hebrews 11.5. 11.5 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. So faith functions right here on two different levels. One is the belief that God actually exists. Now, I want you to understand you can believe that God actually exists, but if you do not believe the account that he has given of himself, then the problem is you're still in trouble because, because you really don't accept who God is. You don't believe God's testimony of himself. And so it's absolutely essential that we believe uh, that, that God exists based on the report that he has provided for us in scripture, not your opinion, not your denomination's opinion, not your church's opinion. But then he says this, and, and so, so without faith, it's impossible to please him. You say, well, why is it impossible to please him without faith? Well, because faith is where you just simply trust what God has said, what God has done. And uh, if you don't trust what he has said and done, then you are basically accusing him of being a liar. So how could you please God when you are refusing to believe that he tells the truth. So it says, you got to believe, you got to believe uh, that God is, but here is such a key factor and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. 
I got news for you. I struggled with that verse in the early years of trying to sort out the difference between uh, dead works and good works. But but it says what it says. It is straightforward and really like every trouble I've had believing anything about God's always it's always been me. I've I've always been the problem. And you always you study and understand scripture by comparing scripture to other scripture, not by just making up what you want to believe about it. You see, if we do not believe God's rewarder, then obviously then we don't believe he's good. Um, but if we don't believe he's a, a rewarder, then I am not in faith, which means I absolutely cannot please him. But also the Bible teaches us in Romans 5, 1 and following, it teaches us that faith is how we take hold of the grace of God and how we become strengthened and stable in the grace of God. So if I do not believe that God's a rewarder, then I am not in faith. And if I am not in faith, I cannot take hold of grace. Uh, so it, it's idiotic for me to take a scripture like this and throw it away and say, oh, that's, that's works. No, well, no, believing is good works. Obeying is good works. Disobeying is uh, evil works. And then, of course, then there's dead works where you think that if you'll do enough of something, you will earn something from God. So you know what? There's good works. There's dead works. Uh, there's evil works. There's several different kinds of works. But to make, to make all works one and the same is really uh, complete biblical ignorance. Now, most of what Jesus taught about rewards and inheritance has been reclassified as teachings about heaven, and I've already touched on that, and that is we do not want to take parables of the kingdom and turn them into parables about how to get to heaven. That is, if, if the parables of the kingdom are telling us how to get to heaven, then Jesus is one of the most confused people that we have ever heard, because then one minute he tells us how easy it is, and the next minute he's telling us how hard it's going to be. Well, that's, that, can't be, that can't be accurate because the difficulty is not getting saved. That is not the difficulty. The difficulty is not getting born again. The difficulty then is giving up our selfish ambitions, giving up our greed, giving up all these aspects of the flesh and surrendering ourselves to God and trusting him to be the source that brings us to all absolute fulfillment. Now, in Matthew 24, I'm going to jump to this, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to come back. There's a lot of this I'll touch on and give you more details as we move for, forward. But in Matthew 24, we have this really interesting teaching session um, where Jesus talks about several different things. He talks about when the temple will be destroyed. He was asked three questions here, and unfortunately, again, people don't recognize, wait a minute, there's three different questions. Uh, because Jesus said, you know, they were talking about the temple and he said, look, all this is going to be torn down. He's, they said like, well, well when, it's gonna, when is it going to happen? But they also asked him, and um, when is the sign of your return? And then they asked my third question, and when, you know, when is the end? How are we going to know the end? So there were three different questions. Now, Jesus answered all three of those questions. Now, very interestingly, in Luke 21, you have what sounds like the exact same teaching and it really gets people confused but here's the difference luke 21 is very clear that it is talking about the persecutions that will happen before the end of time mostly the persecution that will happen 
there in Jerusalem 70 years later when the temple is completely destroyed. But uh, Matthew 24 is very explicit about the fact that here's what's going to happen in the destruction of the temple. So here's your first answer. And then here's what's going to follow after that. And, and he breaks that down into what will be the persecution that will happen uh, when the temple is destroyed and when, when Jerusalem is destroyed. But then he goes into the third question, which is the time of the end. If you don't understand that these are multiple questions, then you will wrap all of these answers into one, one concept. And I'm telling you, you will have a contradictory mess on your hands. But in Matthew 24, when Jesus starts talking about the end, he starts emphasizing this as he does in so many places. Therefore, Matthew 24, 44, therefore you also be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Now, let me just mention something to you. I probably should have used this, this uh, uh, for the title of this message. Uh, now, this is going to sound a little confusing at first. We have this idea that Jesus is going to come back one time. And, uh, and so then from that, we start trying to figure out, you know, is it pre-trib, is it mid-trib, is it post-trib? We try to go to all these different places. But in a, in a certain sense, and just listen to me, don't, don't, don't run and scream when I start telling you. In a certain sense, we do actually understand scripturally that Jesus is coming back two times. You say, what in the world are you talking about? How could Jesus be coming back two times? I'll tell you how he's coming back two times. Because number one, the rapture is that time that he talks about over and over and over again where he warns us, manage our life. In other words, all of the 10 virgins were virgins. In other words, they were all believers, but five were foolish and five were wise. Don't be a foolish virgin who actually gets to the place where you're not even really expecting the return of the Lord anytime soon. So you're, you know, so you're mishandling yourself. Uh, also, uh, he teaches about the difference between faithful and unfaithful servants. And the faithful servants are the ones who every single day are managing their lifetime and resources from the perspective that he is probably, he could come back any minute. And here's the interesting thing. There is what's called the doctrine of eminence. Now, there are, I think, three different words for uh, that are pronounced eminent, and these are not synonyms or homonyms. And, and as homonyms, they sound the same, but they all mean something different. The doctrine of eminence that talks about when Jesus is coming back to get the church, and this is when he talks about he's going to come like a thief in the night. He talks about nobody knows, you know, when, when, the, the, when he's coming. Uh, you got all of these different ways that, that just make it where you, you can't know this, but the real truth is it is imminent. And so we really have to wait or have to relate to this like something that could happen any moment with absolutely no warning. There are no preconditions. But then that is where he comes for his bride and takes us away for the marriage, uh, uh, for the marriage of the lamb to the bride and the marriage feast, and then he will come back at the time appointed, and at that time, everybody's going to see it when he comes back, because we're going to come back with him. We're going to rule and reign, and one of the things that's going to happen when we come back with him, and we will get into this in our next message, we will come back 
and receive our inheritance that we will live in for the next thousand years here on planet Earth. You don't want to miss it. Uh, be sure to share this with everybody. I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Impact Ministries World Changers podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website from previous broadcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.